0: I just wanna talk to you about Jesus. I talk to you about him every week, but oftentimes I have other subjects and Jesus is part of the discussion. Today, Jesus is the discussion. During a sermon year at New Spring, we talk about a lot of subjects from the Bible. For instance, the week after Easter, we begin a brand new series called Anger City Limits. It's on the subject of anger because there's so much anger in our world today and I think you're gonna benefit from it. But the weird thing about that is, is that you could be here as I know some are, and you're not sure yet that you are a Christ follower. You're still seeking and searching, Uh, and and you may be here today and and not be a God follower at all, but the person you're with is, and to support him or her, you're here. Wherever you are on the spectrum of following God in the anger series, you're going to benefit because it'll be helpful. It's wisdom from the word of God. The Bible covers a lot of subjects. And so here at New Spring, we try to talk about the ones that we know about that are important. But at least once a year, I bring you a message series just on the person of Jesus. In fact, this is the second within four months. And I do it for several reasons. And before I say that, I should point out that typically the least shared messages, the least watched messages that we experience in a year at New Spring are the ones on the subject of Jesus. It's very peculiar. And that's not just myself. I I was listening to another pastor whom I have great respect for who also pastors an extraordinary church, and he was saying the similar thing in a message yesterday. There's something about the 21st century American Christian that's very focused, tightly focused on stuff of this world. I never can quite figure that out. Why do we bonus this world and discount the world to come? And we're going to live there forever, and we're only here for a short time. This is a broken system. But I preach Jesus for several reasons. The first reason is I'm commanded. My calling from heaven is to preach Christ. And I understand that in our sophisticated times so-called that we live in today, there are those who would say, well, that's outmoded. It's outdated to talk about God coming in skin and dying as a sacrifice on the cross for our sins. But I would remind you that the greatest preacher of all time outside of Jesus Christ, who was the Apostle Paul, when he went to the most sophisticated city of his preaching career, which was Corinth, he had this to say. He said, when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words of impressive wisdom, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Now, you have to understand that Corinth was... It was a city of confluence. It was, it was, it's a place where cultures came together. There was Roman muscle. There was Greek intellectualism. There was uh, Eastern mysticism. There was the Jewish religion. There were all kinds of schools of intellectual thought there. And the people at Corinth were always waiting for the next, the next guy with sizzle factor, the next gal who could come and dazzle them with her oratory. And yet Paul, who was capable of dazzling people with his brilliance, Paul said to the most sophisticated audience, the audience most like the United States of his time, I decided while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ. There is another reason why I always preach a series on Christ, and that's Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I think the reason he said that was because his times, were, in some ways, were very much like our times, and there would be people who would say to a minister, why do you keep doing this Jesus stuff? And Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God that leads to salvation. And here's the thing. If when you die, you're going to miss hell, and go to heaven, it will be because the power of the gospel somehow got through to you. It won't be because I give you solutions for your anger, or I give you solutions that will help your marriage, or relationship. It will be somewhere in that message the Holy Spirit brought the gospel to you because only in the germ, only in the seed of the gospel can your soul be redeemed, and you miss hell and make heaven. And I guess I've already hinted at the third reason And that is, you could walk out of here and get all kinds of help from the Word of God for all kinds of situations. I think this is one of the things that scares me the most as pastor of this great church. You could be here year after year, sermon after sermon, enjoy the services, and you can get help for this and get help for that because the Word of God has wisdom for all kinds of situations. But if somehow, tragically, in your time here, you got all of this help, this wisdom help for all of your issues, but you somehow miss Jesus. Five seconds after you die, you would open your eyes in a place called hell that Jesus talks about, or Jesus talked about hell often. By the way, it is interesting to me that the person who talks most about hell is not some wild eyed prophet, but it is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. I mean, when you open Luke chapter 16 and you hear Jesus talk about hell, You know, a place where you can't get out and where the guy that was there was just saying, I'm tormented in this flame, and could you just get Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and touch my tongue because this is a bad place? Wouldn't it be tragic to listen to all kinds of messages and get all kinds of wisdom and hear great songs that we like to hear here and on the radio and somehow miss Jesus? But conversely, if you missed all of the advice for living, which would be a shame because you'd really screw up your life, But if you missed all the advice for living, but somewhere in the process you came to know Jesus Christ, like the thief on the cross, you might screw up this life, but you would open your eyes in heaven when you die. Jesus is just that big. He just makes that much difference. So with that in mind, let's go to the most famous words from the Bible and maybe the most important words in the world. Spoken by Jesus himself. For God... So loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I love verse 17. And and here's the thing. I know that in our postmodern 21st century America, not too many people feel too bad to go to heaven. But just in case there is a wise person who is here able to evaluate good and evil and you're nervous about your condition because you recognize that you are a sinner, it is good to know verse 17 where the Bible says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And He could have condemned me. And, and maybe by just justice by itself he should have, but God did not send Jesus to come into the world to condemn, but to save You know how it is when you're like magnifying your image in your camera and you're pulling back a little bit and you get a smaller sampling of what you see through the lens. Let's pull back and I want us to look at 11 words out of those words that I just read to you. And here's the deal. When you walk out of here today, you might still be seeking. You could walk out of here today and completely reject it. But the one thing I know for sure, if you listen to what I'm going to share with you today you will be able to walk out of here and you'll know who Jesus is. And if you have questions about your relationship with Jesus, you're gonna nail them down today. Because without a doubt, we're gonna go to the word of God and we're gonna see who Jesus is. So let's get started. Here are the 11 words. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. One more time. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now here's, I don't usually ask you to do this. I want you to say it out loud with me if these words are behind me. So here we go. Let's say these 11 words. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Those words are the best news you have ever heard in your life. There are five things inherent in those words, at least, that we're gonna pick out real quickly. Number one, you have a way to heaven. Number two, it's available. Number three, it's free. Believing doesn't cost anything. You now, number four, have the opportunity to cheat death and live forever. And number five, it's in a relationship, not a system. It's in a person, not a religion. Now, those are are five things that you can walk away with right now. And if you process those, you will understand why those 11 words are the best news you've ever heard. But there's something we cannot miss. And New Spring, please catch this. There is a point where that message could not get any wider. It is at the word whosoever because whosoever means anybody. It means no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how you failed, whosoever means anybody. It doesn't matter what part of the world you come from. It doesn't matter what you do for a living, what your gender is, what your racial background is. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters at the cross. It may matter in this flawed, broken world, but it doesn't matter with God. It's, there is a place where this message does not get any wider. Whosoever, that is every person in this world. Auditorium, everybody in north, everybody all around our campus, everybody watching online, everybody watching on television, whosoever. There is a place where that message does not get any wider. But there is a point where it cannot get more narrow. In him. Whosoever believes in him. That verse doesn't say whosoever picks one of these five systems. It says whosoever believes in him. Now, I've heard this preached many times. I've preached it countless times. But to tell the truth, most of the sermons that I hear on these 11 words are on the subject of believing. And I understand that. But I'm concerned that in our culture today, many people walk away from that message with a cosmically fatal view. It is the emphasis on the idea of faith, as though faith by itself is the power. I hear people say things today like, my faith is important to me, or my faith got me through. Now, spoken in the correct biblical context, those are fine statements. But what I am listening to as I parse out that message many times is somehow Jesus is getting sort of lost in that concept. There's like a de-emphasis on the person of Jesus and this extraordinary emphasis on the idea of faith. And if we're not careful in our culture today, it can become sort of a Jesus-less celebration of faith. Now, why is that popular? Because this broken, flawed world that's headed for the Antichrist, this broken, flawed world will have no problem with you as long as you speak of your faith in generic terms, You know, just the signs that we put in our house, I have some in my house, you know, faith is believing in in my faith, and and I'm a spiritual person, and all that kind of thing. As long as that's that's what you believe in, this world will give you no issues. Satan will give you no issues. He has no problem with a generic Jesus-less faith. But faith is only as important as the object of faith. You could say today, I'm being held up by sitting, but you're not being held up by sitting. You're, you're held up by your chair. Sitting is how you and your chair got together. Sitting is like faith. Your chair is the object of your faith. And so you could say, well, hey, I, I, I was in the message today and sitting got me through the message. No, your chair held you up. And here's the thing. It is okay to say my faith got me through as long as we're saying our faith in Jesus is what got me through because it wasn't your faith that got you through the storm as we saw last week. It was your Jesus who got you through. Faith was just how you and him got together. So today... We're going to look at those 11 words. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have, have everlasting life. But as important as believing is right now, our emphasis is going to be on the one word that makes the rest of the statement make sense. Our emphasis today is on the word him. Whoever believes in him. Now, the first thing I want to do is I want to tackle a question that I've been asked many times. Throughout the years that I've been a pastor and preaching, a lot of people will say, well, Mark, that statement, whoever believes in him, is so powerful. How can I know for sure if I believed correctly? How How do I know if what I've done in my relationship to who Jesus is, how do I know that that constitutes the biblical definition of faith? Some of you have read the little book that I wrote that we give out to everybody who accepts Christ, my new walk with God. And in that book, in that little book, I tackle that question. To believe in the biblical sense requires three things. Here's the first one. First of all, there has to be a message. You can't believe if there's no message. You can't believe, you know, in a fog. There must be something to believe. Number two, there is mental agreement. I hear the message, I agree with it. But then thirdly, there must be a personal trust in that message. Let me give you an idea of what I mean by the distinction between mentally agreeing and and trusting. And you'd have to be a new springer a long time ago uh, to remember that for years I did not fly. I was afraid of flying. I'm, I don't like heights, you know. I remember I was speaking in Toronto, and they had this, like, great tower at the top. You know, it's like the space. Needle in, in Washington, and it's very similar. And I remember I was a guest speaker for a conference, and the pastor took me down there and he said, We're going to go up to the top of this tower. And he said, The bottom of it is plexiglass. He said, You get out there and you can just lie on the plexiglass. And I said, No, I can't. No, I can't. That's the fact. I said, I'll be down here at, at, in the coffee shop when you get back. Cause you, you couldn't get me up into the St. Louis Arch with a gun. I'm serious. i, I have f- afraid of heights. Now, ever since my early 30s, I've flown all over the world, but for many years, I didn't fly. I used to quote the Bible verse. Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always. (laughs) Now, here's the weird thing. In those years when I was afraid of flying, I could have delivered a lecture on the safety of air travel. I knew the statistics, and I could have convinced you as a speaker that it was safe to fly. But there was a moment when I walked down the corridor of that old airport here in Wichita and I got onto, and you can tell how old this is. It was a TWA plane. We don't even have TWA anymore. And I put my weight on the thing. Now that's what we're talking about here. See, I agreed mentally with flying being safe, but there was a moment when I got on the plane. So that's what it requires to believe. There is a message. There has to be a message to be believed. Number two, there's a mental agreement with that. And then thirdly, there is that personal commitment to that message. But it starts with the message, doesn't it? And here's the thing. If the message is wrong, I will wind up having faith in something that doesn't work. So the message has got to be right. If the message is wrong, we could wind up like Paul described a group of people who believed in, quote, another Jesus and another gospel. So where would we go? If we wanted to open up this Bible and get really introduced to who Jesus is. I mean, I know that there's so much about Jesus in the New Testament, and there's so many prophecies in the Old Testament, a lot of places. But I'm saying, what if we wanted to go to just one chapter in the Bible and walk out of here and say, I know now who Jesus is? Well, fortunately, you don't have to go very far. We're in John chapter 3 with this. And John presumes by the time he gets to that message, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He presumes you've already read chapter 1. So what we're going to do today is we're going to back up from John chapter 3 And we're gonna go to John chapter one. Now here's the thing, we're gonna look at six verses. I want you to hear them all in context and then we'll go back and we'll take these apart and then we'll be through this morning. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and I love this in 2021, and the darkness could not overcome it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory as of the Son, only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Okay, we're going to look at those six verses, and we're going to know who Jesus is. I got to tackle something that some of you are snagging on right now. Mark, what does that mean? In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God? Well, the first thing I would point out is right after that, you have the personal pronoun he reflecting back on that idea of word. But it goes deeper than that. So please don't let me lose you in these weeds. But they're they're very, very important. In the Greek mind, the word for word was logos. But it meant so much more than our English word, word. In the Greek mind, Logos was very significant. Let me see if I can explain. The Greeks were some of the most brilliant people in the history of the world. If you look at the science that was available to them and how far they took it, they make our generation pale by comparison with all of our love of what we do with technology. The Greeks were brilliant. The Greek scholars had great advances in mathematics and science. And the Greek philosophers and scientists were aware that there was extreme order in the cosmos. They recognized that order already existed. They did not not ascribe that order to their pantheon of gods. They understood that whoever or whatever it was that brought that order to the cosmos, it had to be extraordinary. And missing a name for it, they called it the Logos. Heraclitus, who was perhaps one of the greatest of the Greek scientists and philosophers, he thought that the Logos was, listen to these these words, the principle that controls the universe. He's like, I don't know what it is. There's some sort of principle out there that controls the universe. Can't give it a name. It's the Logos. Marcus Aurelius, who was perhaps one of the greatest of the Roman emperors, who was not only an emperor, but he was a brilliant philosopher and a brilliant thinker, in fact, there are quotes from Marcus Aurelius that we still use today. My, my personal favorite is "A man is what he thinks about all day long." But Marcus Aurelius—let in, in me say this: Heraclitus was like 500 years BC. Marcus Aurelius ruled in the 2nd century AD. Marcus Aurelius said that the Logos was the life-giving principle of the universe. Don't know what it is? Can't give it to We're not going to describe it to one of our gods. There's some sort of force out there that is the controlling. Principle of the universe, Heraclitus said, Marcus Aurelius said, is the life-giving principle of the universe. Now, the Jews knew much more about God, and they weren't as deep into Greek culture, even though that they sampled it. But the Greeks had an equivalent, excuse me, the Hebrews had an equivalent in their language. It was the Hebrew word memra, which meant God's expression, watch this, of his power in the material world. Very similar to the Greeks thought that the Logos is the life-giving uh, principle. The Logos is the life force that brings about all things in the ordered universe, and it is God's expression of himself in the material world. Now, when you read John chapter 1, verse 1, and John said, in the beginning was the Logos, it was John's way of introducing Jesus to the Hellenistic or the Greek world. He was saying... You don't know who the Logos is, I'm introducing him to you. That one who is the life-sustaining principle, the one who is the life-giving principle, the one who is God's manifestation of his power on earth, I'm telling you who he is. So what do we learn about Jesus here? In the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus did not begin in the womb of Mary. In fact, we're going to notice a, little, a big little word several times. We're going to notice the word was. Hang on to that because then we'll circle back to it in just a few moments. It didn't say in the beginning God created Jesus. It said in the beginning was the Logos, which meant Jesus was already here. Whenever, whatever the beginning as it might be cons- construed or conceived in eternity or infinity, in the beginning Jesus was already here. And one of the questions I've been asked so many times is Mark Who made God or when did God begin? Well, that's because we know time because God has created us in a world with the concept of time. But time is the aberration. Eternity is the norm. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, the word with there is the Greek word prosopon, which means face-to-face. In our democratic culture, we don't think too much about being eye to eye with people who are superiors. But in the eastern world, you were never face to face with someone whom you were not equal with. So if a person was a king, nobody could be higher in the room than that king. So when the Bible says in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God, it means equal with God. When you think about the Trinity, it's not like God the Father up here, then Jesus down here, and then the Holy Spirit. In Philippians chapter 2, we have it spelled out for us. The Bible speaking of Jesus who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself, taking on the likeness of men. Jesus and God were equal. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was prosipon. The Logos was face-to-face with God. And just in case we missed it, John says this, and the Word was God. And now in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I mean, John is giving us brackets for the same concept. He's giving us the positive and the negative side of this. He said everything was made by him, and there wasn't anything made that wasn't made by him. Colossians chapter 1, which is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, takes it so much further. The Bible says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, because by him, everything was created. In heaven and in earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, and he's before all things and by him. For those of you who study molecular biology, you'll love this. All things hold together. Oh, that's massive. I mean, we think about Jesus creating all things. We sort of think about the material universe, but we're talking about the material and the Im- non-material. We're talking about things you can see and touch and smell and feel, and we're also talking about principles like gravity, and we're talking about the angels. There was nothing that was made in the universe that Jesus did not make. And now verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. As President Obama said several years ago, this is over my pay grade. And it's hard for me to grasp this, but i just lay out for you what the Bible says. It seems like all the life-giving is committed to Jesus. It comes to this, it seems like among the Trinity, this idea of life all goes back to Jesus. In him was life. And by the way, when Jesus was on the earth, he said these things. I mean, in John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and nobody comes to the Father except my me. Jesus didn't say, I know where the way is, and I know the truth, and I know about how to give life. He said, I am the life. In John chapter 11, to Martha and Mary... The sisters who had just lost their brother, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Revelation chapter 1 is Jesus is meeting John on the island of Patmos. He said, I am the living one. I die, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of hell and death. Now verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Now, do you remember a few moments ago, I said there's a big little word, that word was, and then we're going to circle back around to it. It's time for us to do that now. Here's some more weeds. Please don't let me lose you. But they're really, really important, okay? So if I do lose you, just come back (laughs) after I get back on a different topic. But, But for those of you who really want to know who Jesus is, it's really, really important. When the Bible uses the word was, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's a very special word. It's the Greek word, I-me, E-I-M-I. Now, you should understand that that word, I-me, has a Hebrew equivalent that goes back to the Old Testament. When I was a kid, I, I would listen to my teachers in Sunday school talk about how that God called Moses to lead the people of Israel. And Moses didn't want to do the job. He had all these kinds of excuses to tell God why he should pick somebody else. And I remember that one of Moses' excuses was, God, we can't say your name. We, We Hebrews cannot say your name. We don't know your name. And I'm going to go back to my people, and I'm going to say that, hmm, has sent me. And I don't know your name. And they're going to say, who sent you? And I'm going to say, hmm. And so, therefore, I can't do the job. Now, God said the most peculiar thing. When I was a kid, I could not... I couldn't understand this. God said to Moses, you go tell them I am that I am has sent you. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. What does that mean? Well, if I'd understood the language better, I would have understood what it meant. The Hebrews had a word, haya, H-A-Y-A-H, which means the self-existent one. Hey, you're not self-existent. I know that's going to come as a surprise to a few people, but... You don't keep yourself alive. You didn't make yourself alive. You don't keep your heart beating. You don't keep all the autonomic systems of your body running. You're not self-existent. I'm not self-existent. I am totally dependent upon God. What God said to Moses is you go tell your people the one who is self-existent, the one who doesn't need anybody, the one who didn't have to have anybody wake him up this morning, the one who won't have to find out what he's going to do for the day. Go back and tell your people the self-existent one has sent you. Now, Jesus came along in the New Testament, and he used the Greek equivalent of that word. Every time he said, I am, it had that word in it. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the door. I am the water of life. I am the resurrection of life. Every time he did that, he used that self-existent word. So every time we look up to this point in the gospel of John chapter 1, where Jesus is presented as he was this, it's always The fact he was self-existent and he was already what he was and nothing could change it. Now the reason why I bring that up right now is the verb, hold on, is about to change. Because now we're going to hear about Jesus being something and the verb I, me is not going to be used. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us. For the very first time, Jesus was something that he wasn't before. God became skin. Mary Alice and I were reading it this morning, and our am morning reading. God came to a woman named Mary and said, Mary, I know you've never been with a man, but you're going to have a baby. And this baby is of God, God and human at the same time. The word became flesh. Now, why? That is a peculiar story. And I have friends who would say, Mark, I would be interested from your religion from a sort of platonic viewpoint. In other words, there's a lot of wisdom, as I talked about at the beginning of the message, in your sermon. But this whole idea of the virgin birth, I mean, first of all, nobody's ever been born of a virgin before, and like, duh, that's the idea. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Why, though? Why? Where's the wisdom in there? In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, you have this these statements about Jesus. In other words, he had to be this so that he could be this, so that he could be this. They're sort of tiled on each other. Now listen to Hebrews 2, verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. God can't die. Only by becoming a human being could he die. And only by dying Could he break the power of the devil who held the power of death? Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to fear of dying. That is why the Logos became something that he wasn't before. He became human. So that's who Jesus is. In the few minutes that I have in the rest of this message, someone could say, Mark, practically... What does that mean to you? Well, I'm part of the whosoever, and I believe, so it means two things. Number one, it means my bill has been paid, I am an extreme sinner, I deserve hell. But I won't go, not because I'm worth much, but I will go to heaven because my bill has been paid by this logos. Romans chapter 5, verse 16, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of Adam's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. I love that verse. And my two favorite words, are you ready for this? My two favorite words are even though. See, I look at myself. You see me, you see the person on stage, but see, I know myself and I know what I've thought through the years and I know everything about me just like you know everything about you and here's the thing as I said a few weeks ago any honest person knowing everything about you you have to feel like the last person in the world that God would love if you're honest I look at me and I know I'm a sinner and I know I should go to hell but the Bible says even though even though I should go to hell even though I should go to hell I won't go to hell in Romans chapter five, verse twenty, the Bible gives us this a few verses later. But where sin increased and abounded, God's grace has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded. For every person here who's troubled about your past, and Satan will come along and he will remind you of what you've done. And by the way, as someone said, when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. And Satan will come along and he'll say, you've done this and you've done that. And you say, it's true, Satan. But even though I've done that, I know that the grace of God is greater than my sin. That when my sin abounds, grace superabounds. And even though I'm guilty of many sins, my debt has been paid by this awesome God man. You guys are so kind to me as your pastor. This experience happens to me quite frequently. I'll be at a rest stop with Mary Alice. I mean, Every once in a while Mary else will say, Mark, I just want to sit down across the table with you and have all your attention. <laughs> so we'll go to her restaurant and have a nice meal. And at the end of the meal, you know, we're kind of waiting for the server to come. And I put my wallet on the table to kind of indicate that we're about ready to go. And the server will come over to our table and she'll say, there, there's someone here today who's paid for this meal for you and your wife. Left the tip. They just want to do something for you. Now, a couple things. Number one is I'm always grateful, but it also makes me think about my salvation every time it happens. And one of the things is I rarely ever get to see that person because most of the time they want to remain anonymous. Just just someone here. I get the message from the server. Do you understand that's who I am today? I'm not very important. I just happen to have an assignment. I'm the server coming by your table. Am I... Joy is to tell you that someone loves you very much and your bill has been paid. And when that happens, two things. I'm free to go and there's no more charge. And I just came by your table today to tell you that your bill has been paid and you're free to go and there's no more charge. Now, there's one major difference. When I'm sitting at the restaurant... I have the money in my pocket to pay for the meal Mary Alice and I just ate. But when I came face to face with Jesus, I didn't have anything to pay with. The Logos came, took on skin, ran the table, lived a perfect life, laid that perfect life on a Roman cross and the blood that came out of his body was a currency that God had respect and avenue and my bills been paid. Number two, it means when the judgment comes, I have a representative. When I stand before God, I have an attorney. Could I ask you a question? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm very strange, but I wonder if you could be like this too. It is strange to me how that sometimes I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and the deepest thought will come to me. You know, in America, we're so busy, we can sort of suppress these deep, deep, deep existential thoughts, but to me, somehow, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll have a thought like this. How is a flawed person like me going to be able to stand mano a mano before a holy God? See, the thing about, every once in a while, some smart aleck has said to me through the years, "Well, when I stand before God, I'll, you won't tell God anything. Read, read, read Isaiah 6. You're in the presence of that throne of God that Ezekiel describes, how is somebody as flawed and quirky and broken as Mark Hoover with all the wrong decisions I've made? How am I going to stand before God when God holds me accountable? See, when we get held accountable down here on the earth, we're we're being held accountable by other sinners, other human beings. But how will we stand before God? One of the greatest human beings who ever lived. One of, he lived one of the most exemplary lives. I mean, the Bible even talks about him living such a life that perhaps his life could stave off judgment of a nation. I mean, this is extraordinary. His guy, God's name was Job. And in the midst of his trouble thinking he was going to face God very soon, he said, if only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together, I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Then I could speak to him without fear, but I cannot do that in my own strength. Job was like, I know i got to stand before God, but I wish there was somebody who could put one hand on my shoulder and then had presence or standing in the throne of God who could put his hand upon God and bring us together. Well, who, who is it? Who is it who is human like you and me who could reach out with one hand and put his hand on our shoulder? But he's also God so he could reach out and take hold of God and bring us together. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, the Bible says it's Christ Entered heaven itself now, and I love this, these words, to appear for us in God's presence. Now, we have a number of you who are attorneys here, especially those of you who are trial lawyers. What is it that the defense attorney says at the beginning of a trial when the lawyers are introducing themselves to the judge? You know, you'll have the prosecutor saying, I'm appearing for the people. And then the defense attorney will say, give his or her name, appearing for the defense. It's interesting that God uses that word. Look at that again, Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. When I stand in the presence of God, Jesus Christ will say, Jesus Christ here for the defense. So what this means is my bill has been paid. And I have someone to represent me. Well, let's end this message where we started. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. As somebody could say and will say, Mark, I don't agree. I have another system. I have another way of thinking. I have another way of believing or doing things. Let me ask you a question. I mean this from my heart. How do you know that your system has currency in heaven. It may have currency at the university. It may have currency online. It may have currency on social media. It may have currency in your church. How do you know your system has currency in heaven? See, this is the thing I love about this. I know Jesus has got standing and currency in heaven. I don't like to say negative things, but I owe it to you to tell the truth. The truth is anyone without Jesus Will stand in heaven with an unpaid debt and no one to represent him i plead with you with everything that i have to say from your heart i believe in jesus i can't preach a message like this without giving you an opportunity to make a decision now, i'm going to talk to a lot of different people because for some You've never really heard this message before. It's a brand new message. And, and you may say, Mark, I need to go home and think about this for a little while. Totally get that, totally understand. We love seekers and searchers here at New Spring. It's a place where it's okay it's safe to be honest. You could be here today and you, you've been in church a lot of years and it's strange. You've heard a lot of teaching all around this, but for today, it's like it all fell, fell together. That's the Holy Spirit making it plain to you. And you're like, Mark, I've, I've been all around this thing with Jesus, but today I get it. I get, I know who he is, and I want to believe in him. And, and here's the strange thing. You may have already accepted Christ as your Savior, but today you're going to nail it down. You're going to be certain because it's so clear. But whoever you are, I know this. The Word of God says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, here's the question I get asked about that. People say, well, Mark, it, it seems so small just to call on the name of the Lord. You don't understand. The smallness is not and the, the issue of smallness does not exist there because you see that Lord at the end of that statement is just so, ma- he's so massive. I mean, the, the reason why when you call on the Lord, you are saved is not because of what you did by calling, it's who hears your call. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and these aren't magic words, but you have a chance to pray this. And if you pray it from your heart, there is a, the Logos is on the other side, and he is listening. Let's pray. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. You sent Jesus to take on humanity to pay for my sin. I believe he died for me. I believe he arose from the grave. And because Jesus is alive, I want him as my Savior and King. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please, Please stay where you are for right now. Just for another couple, maybe a minute or so. If you, two minutes. Uh, if you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. It's, there's a Bible just like I preach. And there's the book I talked about, My New Walk with God. This is free of charge. It won't cost you anything. I think there's a journal and some other cool stuff in this. If you're on campus, all you have to do right now is take out your phone and text PRAYED. The word P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97000. You can go to any info center. And they'll have this ready for you. If you don't want to do that, you can just say, I pray with Mark. And they'll, it's, they won't hassle you, bother you, ask your routing number or anything. They just want to give this to you, okay? So, so please come and get that. Okay, please stay still for just a second. When you walk out of here, in New Springers, all of our guest services, people are going to have these five mini invites. Now, here's what I want to do right now. I want, to, I want to pray for the people you're going to give the mini invites to so that when you give somebody a mini invite, you'll know they've already been prayed for, right? You ready? Here we go. Dear Father, As I hold these invites in my hand, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Logos, I ask you to touch and open the hearts of those who will receive these invitations. I pray that they will be able to either be here online or personally so that they can hear the good news of Jesus' resurrection. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services.